Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as we It's the Las Vegas Nationals pre-race show. We got Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna coming in to give hot takes on what's coming in Vegas. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. Tony Stewart's making his competitive debut in A-Fuel. We're covering that story as well. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedregon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten-thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, it's Brian Loans back again. Another episode of the NHRA Insider here, getting ready for an exciting and what will be jam-packed, action-packed, awesome NHRA Las Vegas Nationals leading into the SEMA show, leading into the final race of the season in Pomona, California. This will be one for the books. We have Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon coming on today. It has become tradition for our pre-race shows. We kind of set up the races. We take you through the classes. We understand the storylines. We get you up to date on everything that's happening, both kind of above water and maybe even behind the scenes. There's all kinds of stuff happening this weekend. Of course, the story that has dominated the headlines now over the course of this early race week is the fact that Tony Stewart, will be making his competitive debut driving an A-Fuel Dragster prepared by the McPhillips family. He will be competing at the Las Vegas Nationals for the first time in his NHRA career, and uh, he has seen it as a team owner. Uh, he's seen it as a broadcaster, too. He's been in the booth with, with Pedregon and I a couple of times, and now he's going to see it from the most comfortable view that he can possibly have uh, knowing this guy, which is behind the wheel, or in this case, the butterfly-style steering wheel that'll be in that A-Fuel Dragster. And We had a media availability with Tony today. He was very candid with his thoughts about his preparation, what he's doing, what he thinks he's doing uh, correctly, what uh, he is planning on learning, what he's planning on trying to achieve this weekend. And he's going to be getting in a good car, and he's going to be getting into a good car in a deep field. 21 entries in the A-Fuel Dragster, or the Top Alcohol Dragster category this weekend. And among those 21 are pretty much every single national championship hopeful. Now, Tony will be driving a car that can run wheel to wheel with all those machines. It'll be his driving acumen, of course, that will make potentially the difference as we watch the race unfold. We have major storylines in all of our categories. The potential coronation of Erica Enders as the Pro Stock Champion, depending on how her weekend goes and if things continue the way they are. Uh, She'll be hoisting a championship trophy long before the final round on Sunday. We have great races going on. And, of course, the Pro Stock Motorcycle, Funny Car, and Top Fuel Fields are going to handicap and look at all of those uh, categories and stuff as well. And, you know, it it really does bear mentioning that when we come into the second to last race of the year, I've mentioned it a couple of times and we've had these conversations with drivers. But if you've never been to this particular race, this fall Las Vegas race, it is it is a party on Friday and Saturday that turns into a very serious affair on Sunday. And it's one of the neatest events to attend because of that reason. You feel the energy. Halloween weekend in Las Vegas is um, nuts. As one, every day in Las Vegas is crazy, but Halloween weekend in Las Vegas kind of grabs another gear. You have the SEMA show coming up, so you have all kinds of industry, you know, high-performance automotive industry people there, a lot of international people there, and all of it just kind of culminates in this Sunday that is very pressure-packed, carries with it potentially implications for world championships for our competitors, um, both in the positive and negative. We've seen people come into Vegas and and carry their momentum into Pomona and leave with championships. We've seen them come to Vegas and and literally fall down in front of our eyes and, and lose that uh, momentum certainly lose that ability to win a national championship, a world championship, if you will, in the Camping World Drag Racing Series. So all of those things will be on full display. The weather forecast is going to favor uh, a lot of performance. We're talking about temperatures that will barely get out of the late or high 60s as as highs. Uh, we're talking about afternoon qualifying sessions when the sun gets low fairly early this time of the year that will be very, very fast on both Friday and Saturday. This is a four qualifying session race, as will be Pomona. And so because of those factors, uh, we're looking for big performance. Now, there have been some changes on the entry sheet, specifically in Top Fuel, where a couple of weeks ago we had 18 entries, and now we have 15. 
We lost Billy Torrance. We'll talk about that. We lost two other cars as well to Scott Palmer and Alex Laughlin. Now, we didn't lose them completely. They're actually going to race in Pomona, but they decided to skip Vegas and uh, move their resources and or time commitments to the finals in Pomona. So um, they're not gone entirely off the, off the slate this season. We're just not going to see them in Vegas. That means it will be a buy in the first round. We're going to talk about the importance of that when we get Tony and Kevin on here as well. A bit of a preview. We're going to have three shows this weekend on FS1, two qualifying shows that will both air on Sunday, and our elimination show, which, of course, will also air on Sunday afternoon. You can check your local listings for time on that. And overall... Uh, we are coming into Vegas with a, a great kind of push behind us. We had a great event in Dallas. Of course, Sunday was a wacky day in that. It looked like it was going to rain all day. We were shocked that we got anything in, let alone able to finish the entire Eliminator on Sunday. It looked as though the whole thing was going to wash out. So that's kind of it. There's not a lot more for me to say here. I can tell you that over the next couple of weeks, um, both at the SEMA show and following, there will be big news breaking across the world of NHRA drag racing. There's announcements coming on multiple fronts. Some you'll see coming, some you won't see coming, some that will refute some, um, let's call it uh, popular lore that is incorrect. Uh, All kinds of good stuff on the horizon. And um, as it tends to be, this time of the year is when things really start to get interesting in terms of uh, the murmurs of who may be ending up where. Are there going to be crew chief changes? Are there going to be team changes? Are there going to be additional teams, ownership changes? Um, all of those things, in my opinion, will be discussed and kind of bubbling around the surface of the sport, specifically over the next couple of weeks. So the um, that is that is the monologue. It is a very weak monologue, I would say, as compared to some other ones. But uh, there's so much to, to talk about here in the race. I want to get immediately to our guests. All right. Since it is a race week and because we have begun this tradition that people have enjoyed, including uh, the three of us, I welcome Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna back for our three-man pre-race Vegas chat. Boys, how are you doing this morning? Kevin, how are you? Uh, real good. It's just sad to think that we've only got two more of these this year, and then we're going to have to wait until March to go again, or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll do some over the winter. Oh, I think, yeah, I think we can do some over the winter. Tony, how are you hanging in there? Good. Good morning, Brian. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to miss the uh, the calls and the text messages from, from the racers <laughs> uh, after we after we point things out that we see. I, I can honestly tell you, I don't know if I'm going to miss that. So, uh, well, my I, favorite I, time I, to I don't, do I don't, I don't get those, so maybe one of one of us isn't doing this the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, see, Kevin, you're going to get a lot of, like, on Christmas morning in the offseason, you're going to get a lot of Merry Christmas texts. Tony and I's phone yeah. will not be as active as yours on that day. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, we I'll, can all wear white hats. The more you do your job, Kevin, and the more honest that you are, the more phone calls and hate mail you're going to get. <laughs> I, I am aware of that way. <laughs> Over the years, I am aware of that. <laughs> so listen, let's start on one topic that uh, I don't think will garner any hate mail for anybody. And of course, it, it is news that has um, not overshadowed the race, but it certainly enhanced the excitement of this, this Vegas race, the second to last race of the season. Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. Obviously, I'm, I'm talking about Tony Stewart making his competition debut this this weekend and an A-Fuel dragster uh, running with the McPhillips family. You and I talked about this when the murmurs began that he was going to do this, and, and you point blank asked me, how many extra people you think will show up to watch Top Alcohol Dragster because of him? And initially, you know what I said? I said none, and I was totally wrong. This has gotten a life of its own beyond what I could have possibly expected. Yeah, I, I think it's going to move the needle some. And even the people who, I mean, first of all, you don't need another reason to go to Vegas. No. Right? It, it, I mean, it, it really is. Uh, one of the best events of the year. It always has been. But uh, as far as the Tony Stewart deal, you know, even the people who were already coming to the race, how many of them do you think are going to look at the schedule and say, you know what, we need to make sure we're there by 10 o'clock on Saturday morning because we, we want to see his last qualifying run. Um, yeah, I, I think there, there will be a huge crowd of people in that pit area. I think he'll be watched and scrutinized. Um, but all of that, it, it, it's great for the sport as a whole. It's great for the top alcohol dragster class. I mean, obviously, you've got a stacked field there. You've got probably uh, eight or nine of the ten best cars in the country there. Um, so he's got his work cut out for him. But 
I, I think that's what we all want to see. See how well he does. It is, and and on the on the competition side, Tony, this is a guy who has taken this as seriously as anybody we've ever seen. Um, he's been testing. I know you've been talking to him as he's been making test runs. You know, Brainerd, Minnesota. He made a ton of runs and was cracking off great reaction times. I mean, what's your perspective on this as the the racer side of it? Well, everything good. Now, I had a hunch when when. You know, when Tony Stewart got involved in the sport, I, I mean, I had a hunch that there was more to it than just just making the transition to a team owner. I mean, it's great. Uh, I think he's done a good job. And I think Tony has really brought a different dynamic to, you know, to motorsports, you know, for, for the insiders, for, the, for, the, for the, 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 the ones of us that understand, you know, there are, there are bad cultures with some teams that don't help those teams. And you see the end result on, on the track. Sometimes you see all the drama, and there's no need for that. I, I think when it comes to racing, I, I've said this before, I never like using the word fun, but I think it is important to enjoy racing, enjoy what you're doing, uh, because it is a very dangerous sport. So fun, I, I, stay, I, stay, I steer clear of that word. Maybe after, maybe the after party is fun. Maybe throwing one down is, is fun after in the stories, but... I think that Tony Stewart is is the type of person, and I think I think this this is true with any high level race car driver uh, athlete. I think they're all the same. I think the the mentality is the same. I've learned that in speaking with you know with high level boxers, champion boxers, uh, athletes, even even actors that come you know to our races. Uh, some of them we've gotten to know very well. Uh, they all think the same. You know, they're just very intense. Some of them show it, some of them don't. I always had this hunch that Tony Stewart is the type of person that loves to compete. He competes in the workplace, in business. And, you're, I mean, what, is he immune to this stuff? No, he's standing on the starting line. And he is watching, he is paying attention. I've always felt that a guy like Tony Stewart is not going to do it too soon. He's not going to do it prematurely. He's going to watch. He's going to go through it mentally. And, and he's, I think he's just that type of guy. When he gets in the seat, which is what we're going to see, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be more than good. I think he's going to be very competitive because he ha- he doesn't want to get in the car and, and learn in front of people. He has the ability. He has the capability of, of making a lot of test runs, talking to you know to people that he is going to filter through the information i've never given him one piece of advice um because i think that's one of the problems in our sport i think everybody has an opinion i think even some drivers some owners some people that really don't have the credentials or the qualifications to give advice i see them giving advice i would only help someone if they ask me a specific question i've had people ask me certain things and I've watched them go and ask the same question to the next person, and I don't understand it. For for that reason, I'm out, but I think it's a great thing, and I think there are two things that are happening besides Tony Stewart coming in. That's one of them. That is that is big. I'll be watching. Cruz will be watching. Tasca, any, everybody that I know is going to be interested to hear how he's doing, not just in eliminations but in qualifying. So, hey, a guy like Tony Stewart is going to bring the spotlight with him. But the other thing, the other dynamic is, how good is this going to be for the addition of the injected funny cars in Tap Alcohol Funny Car when you can get named drivers? I mean, look at what it did to, to Factory Stock Showdown, right? And and look at what it does for the Xfinity Series and, and the trucks. Anytime you get a big name that can go in that category, in that class, and compete, it is going to draw attention. I think that's something NHRA is looking at. I think there's some drivers uh, in the pro class that are going to be getting in these injected cars. And I think that's just going to be uh, a good thing for, for those, those classes, but especially a good thing for the sport. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, Kevin, one of the things that has happily surprised me is the reception that fellow top alcohol dragster competitors have publicly kind of, um, exclaimed when this news came out, all of them, at least publicly anyway, that I've seen have, have, have thought this to be a great thing for the category. Sure, and, and, and the one thing I, I don't think that we can understate is um, Tony Stewart could easily be making his top fuel debut yeah. this weekend. Uh, the, the resources are there, but he chose to go the alcohol route because he realized that he wasn't ready, and that's you know th- this is a process rather than just jumping in. 
And, and the one thing, if you get to know him a little bit, you, you quickly realize he, he's one of the most meticulous people you'll ever meet. And I think that probably fueled his decision to, to, to say, you know what, I'm going to take this one step at a time. Let's try the alcohol car for a bit, see how that goes, get some experience. Um, as far as to, to, to your question, you know, I, I think the, the, the overwhelming sentiment is, you know, come on in, the water's fine. Um, you know, obviously the McPhillips team, they have a great reputation. They're well-liked, respected. So he, he is absolutely aligned with the right people. Now, if he goes out there and kicks everyone ass, everyone's asses this week, they may have a slightly different uh, <laughs> right. take on this going forward. I, I mean, we're probably getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But, um, you know, if he were to, say, run a full season or even a half a season next year, and I'm just speculating, um, yeah, you know, the – the, the the warm fuzzy welcome to the class might dissipate a little bit, but but no, for sure right now they're happy to have him. They're happy to have the spotlight on the class, and as, as you said, it, it is great for the entire sport. It really is. I mean, I am, and, and you know, the timing of this is interesting in that obviously there's been all kinds of stuff that's happened on the NASCAR side of Tony's life with the big fines and all the controversy that the the Stuart Haas team has been in over the last several weeks and. And there are a lot of people that are looking at this saying, oh, he's doing this as a, you know, to jab his finger in NASCAR's eye. But, Tony, the reality is he's been building up to this for a long time. And, and the timing, as conspicuous as it looks, is just kind of a coincidence. The fact that there's this tension happening on the other side of his, his kind of motorsports life, I don't think necessarily influenced his decision to race in Vegas. No, I mean, hey, why not? Why not leverage it? And why not play the media like the media plays, sure. you know, the people so much? And, I, you know, it's, I, it's just timing. It's a coincidence. And I, I agree. I mean, it, it, and Tony Stewart, he's, he's smart. I think that he is unlike, unlike a lot of guys uh, that I've seen get in top fuel cars. I mean, they, they really don't, they, they haven't gone through the proper steps. And then when they get in a funny car, they get in a top fuel car. You know, if everything works right, the car leaves the starting line, it gets to the finish line. But it's when it doesn't, it's when it, it gets the tires loose and the car gets sideways from the torque and all these things happen and your foot has a disconnect with your brain and your foot gets in the throttle. That's when you go bouncing off walls. And I think that Tony Stewart has a, a great, he probably better understands uh, as well as anyone that cars or race cars are dangerous. And especially these cars, and, and not so much when everything's working right, but when they get in trouble. So, uh, I mean, absolutely, this guy is, is uh, I think he's going to be very good this weekend. I, you know, it's funny because when I heard the news and I started thinking about the car he was going to be racing and, and, you know, just just some of the test laps that he's made, I, I think he's going to, he's going to, the cool part is he's going to be very competitive. Yeah. And, hey, if you get beat, at least you're getting beat by a big-name guy. That, that's got to be cool. <laughs> It's going to be something, and and he comes in with obviously the self-imposed pressure of wanting to do a good job for himself and for the team he's driving for, but he comes in with none of the championship pressure, which every championship contender is going to be here, and if that card performs the way it normally does, he'll likely qualify somewhere in the top half, assuming he does his job correctly and, and he can really mess things up for other people, which is going to be fun to watch. You know, Kevin, before we get into the traditional, uh, you know, drag race speak here, one other name we should probably, you know, kind of roll into the middle of the room here is uh, maybe a little grenade with the pin still in it is the name uh, Kurt Busch because uh, Kurt Busch has announced he's no longer going to race full-time in NASCAR. Obviously, he's uh, had that concussion, the big bad crash that has kept him out for the majority of the season. This is a guy who came in and raced pro stock because he wanted to. He was fascinated by it years ago. Do you think, with everything that's been going on, with Tony, with with Rick Ware, with the other people that keep uh, mentioning the fact that, or we keep hearing names bubble up, that other NASCAR entities will be wanting to become involved in NHRA, is it possible we see Kurt Busch doing something in drag racing? Uh, you know, I, I can't speak for Kurt Busch, you know, and, and obviously I think we need to make sure that his health is, is fine before he gets in any type of a race car. But to answer your question, absolutely. Uh, we, we know that, that he, you know, when he ran pro stock at one event, he essentially said someday I will be back. I think he really enjoyed it. And you don't think that if he expressed an interest, Richard Freeman or the KB team wouldn't wouldn't find a place for him, or, or even you know I, I know that the, the Caruso team they have a second car sitting yeah. there, and uh, I think Kurt Busch probably lives within ten miles of them. Um, I, I think it would be very easy uh, for, for for that to happen. And, and you know you look at uh, 
not to get too deep into the economics of it, but you look at the price point of racing an NHRA pro car, you know, either a partial season or even a full season. Um, I think some people are shocked at how inexpensive it is compared to a cup budget or even an Xfinity budget. Um, you know, I think it's a bargain and, you know, you don't think with a few phone calls, I'd have to expect that Kurt Busch could find the funding to do this if he chooses to. Yeah. And listen, his relationship with monster, um, they, they were very interested. They, they, what they said after he announced his full-time retirement was interesting in that they didn't just do the thank you for Kurt, for your years of support, Kurt Bush. We'll see you down the road somewhere. Hopefully we can, you know, hang out sometime. They really left it kind of open-ended that they're going to stick with him and, and other things he wants to pursue. So there's also, you know, that angle. And obviously we have monster in the sport with Brady force, but that's not to say that they wouldn't be involved in something, uh, ancillary, if you will, even if it's a partial season or some appearances in a pro stock car. That is, again, that is a story I'm not trying to speak into existence, but it does have some root well, in that he's done it before. Sure, and, Brian, and you, you and I, I think, have both heard the rumor that there's uh, one more pretty successful NASCAR team owner that has kind of sniffed around drag racing a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, it, it may or may not go someplace, but if you look at the trajectory of what we've had with, with the Tony Stewart success, with Rick Ware coming in, uh, it certainly makes sense for, uh, you know, for, for more people to come over and, and even if they don't make a commitment, at least take a look at what we're doing and, and see what they like and don't like. Yeah, and especially when we come into this week, this tends to be a race where people, uh, obviously because of the SEMA show and everything else, there, t- there tends to be uh, business interests in the pits at Vegas, maybe beyond we see it at other places. So uh, let's transition the conversation into what we should be paying attention to at this second race, second to last race of the season here in 2022. And uh, as we tend to do, we'll start with the pro stock motorcycle category. And, and Tony, this kind of went to a degree according to the way we thought it would in Dallas in that uh, Matt. Smith didn't lose any ground. He didn't pick up a lot, but he picked up enough. He's now 51 points up on Joey Gladstone, and it was old Jerry Savoie that um, that made a mess of everything, and, and really Hector Rana did as well. It was great to see Hector in the winner's circle, and, you know, I look at the ladder and how that race went down, and, you know, I, I think of the uh, I think of the lion when the lion makes the kill, and then afterwards the hyenas show up and the buzzards show up. Matt Smith, you know, when he when he takes when he takes himself out, you know, it's like, hey guys, whoever wants it, you guys can have it. Um, but I, I give you know give the Rana's credit. I mean, that eighty two in the final, that was you know that was exactly what they needed to do to to get rid of Savoie. You know, Jerry, it's it's great to see him. It seems like he really takes advantage of of you know certain situations. Um, you know, when, when someone makes a mistake, Jerry's there. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to see him have the performance that he yeah. had a few years ago when he yeah. won the championship. Uh, and it's there; the talent is there. And if they could find the range, then you know they would they would definitely be more of a, a factor. But I mean, I, I like the chase because I think it's going to come down to to Matt and Gladstone. I think I think Joey is still in it, and he's only you know he's really only a hundredth or two off. So I think if he can stay within a round, maybe two, but you got to stay within within distance of Matt going into that last race to have a chance because it's not often that Matt makes a mistake and you just don't want to rely on that going into the last race. You know, and, and Kevin, when we look at Jerry, you know, he's 103 out of the lead, which is, you know, probably a stretch. Steve Johnson's now 118 back. You think Jerry's racing for second? Do you think Jerry's racing for third? Or do you think Jerry's just going to show up and what happens, happens? I believe Jerry believes that he's racing for first. Um, and, you know, he, 100 points is, boy, that, that, that is really kind of the, the cutoff line of where you can still be considered a contender, I think. Um, you know, I, I do. The, the, the problem that they all have is, you know, Matt Smith rarely misses a trick. He, he might be one of the most savvy racers in any class. Um, you know, you look at what he's done this year with switching bikes. You know, he's going to know instinctively which bike is best, and that's what he's bringing. Um, although, that being said, the Vegas track is a little different dynamic. You've got the altitude, you've got the thin air. Um, it, it kind of presents, I think, a, a different tuning challenge. And if for some reason Matt Smith missed the window a little bit, you know, we've seen other bikes dominate at times. You know, Karen Stouffer was dominant at the beginning of the year. Steve Johnson had a period. Uh, Gladstone, when he won those races, had the quickest bike. You know, even Angel and, and Eddie are capable of winning this. Um, I think we've had, what, eight different winners in the bike class this year? Which yeah is amazing given that they only run 15 races. Um, 
so so no, it, it's not over yet. Um, but boy, certainly advantage Matt Smith. Yeah, advantage Matt Smith, and and you know, or, you know, Tony. If we look at Angel, who's 164 points back at this at this point in time, let's say she shows up to Vegas and rides this incredible race, and and is it is that the clearest sign that the pressure is just too much? Like now that now that maybe the pressure's relaxed because you're 164 out, and and maybe it's not that much of a vice, and and if you show up there and just kind of do what we all think you're capable of doing, is that is that the signature sign of the pressure being too much? It has. That's, it's, that's the only thing that that. Uh, I mean, that's that's the only thing that it could be. Um, you know, this is the time of year. I always use that Harry Harry Varden uh, quote: "The golf, the great golfer." There's two types of people: those that can handle pressure and those that can't. And you know, the amazing thing is, you know, we've seen Angel. We, we've seen her win all those champions. I mean, we're going back a ways, but we've seen the talent, and and she's put her talent on display. But if you just go to recently, I mean, we've, we've seen it before our eyes. I mean, I follow the NBA. I follow the NFL. I mean, how does Tom, what's happening to these athletes? Is it physical or is it mental? It could be a little bit of both. But in our sport, there's no question that it is mental. And if it's not on the starting line, it's it's something else. And, you know, when she's on and, and it's, you know, it's pretty amazing that, that that team, that Vance and Hines team, it's still – the powerhouse that could contend that could win championships that has won championships. And it's, you know, it's gotta be something for Andrew and, and just to watch, you know, the mistake after mistake. And we're not pointing out anything that everyone else can't see. Don't be calling me because sponsors are watching too. We're just pointing out the fact that this is, this is weekend week out that we see, you know, the, the driver errors and, to answer your question, if they show up and if they ride good and do what you know good racers are supposed to do, they'd win races. And Kevin, That's it's cool. it's it's reminiscent of what we saw last year out of Steve Johnson because you remember Steve Johnson ran over blocks at, at one of the countdown races and, and kind of put himself mm-hmm. out too. It's just it's bizarre that it's happening almost in mirror image to somebody else a year later. Yeah, and it's you know obviously Tony has much much more experience in this than I do racing for championships, but I, I do think sometimes it, it's easy to get lost a little bit and, and lose your focus. I mean, I, I, just, I always think of Don Perdome. Uh, I think he got in Tommy Johnson's face one time and just said, you only have to concentrate for this long. And he, and he had his fingers about a quarter inch apart. And he's right. He's right. But, but you know, sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do. You know, th- th- there's no racer I've ever seen who's, who's perfect every time. You know, they all have the, their slumps. Um, you know, unfortunately, in Angel's case, it has been a prolonged slump. And sometimes it, it's, you know, it sort of feeds off itself where you have one bad light after another and, and you just can't seem to dig yourself out of it. But, yes, you know, as Tony mentioned, she's capable. There's yeah. no reason. If you told me she was going to dominate and win this race this weekend, I would have no reason to doubt you. But at, at some point, the light switch has to go the other way where you, you got to find a way. Um, you know, wh- whatever it takes, you know, she, she's got to figure out how to get back to where she was even earlier this season when, uh, you know, she was winning rounds and appearing in finals. It's got to find an answer somewhere. Yeah. And, and listen, the running over the blocks thing, uh, as ugly as it was, you know, to me anyway, stands as a sign of the of the will and the want to win. I mean, you know, Tony, we've seen it happen uh, on the kind of heroic side where guys like Justin Ashley, you know, Ashley hung in there for one of the runs in one of the earlier countdown races where he was, I mean, way out in the cabbage, not even close to the group, but he hung in the throttle and won the race. For Angel, it was the it was the motorcycle moving the other way, and she hung in there because she, you know, not a, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say desperation. I think out of will to try to turn the wind light on to not chop the throttle shut. So I'm not faulting her for that, but it's just it's just like, damn, what a what a way to go out. Yeah, hey Brian, you know machines are hard to handle. I mean, you know, people say hey they have a mind of their own because because one time it might move to the outside of the groove. You may not need to correct it as much. But, you know, when it's all said, this just reminds me. This reminds me of something that I went through that I still watch, that I still see. We still, you and I, Brian, we pick up on the patterns. You know, sometimes it's it's like, wow, that was really good. Well, you kind of, you, you're able to pick up on some of the rhythms of some of these drivers. And, you know, I think it's it's just on the driver that they have to think it through. They have to live it. They have to go through the hard knocks. 
and figure it out. But when it when it's all said and done, they have to figure out a way to win. I think that you know I'll, I'll use Top Fuel as, as an example. You know, at the beginning of the year, and as the this points race kind of developed, and it was seven or eight drivers, and it still is legitimately six or seven. And you know, I I would always point out that you know Mike Salinas and Justin Ashley and Josh Hart they're surrounded by a bunch of drivers that have been there and done that. They've won championships. They've woke up in the morning. They've gone to sleep thinking about their opponent when they said, "Oh, we don't think about the no." Yes, you did. And and I think drivers have to come to terms with that. That this is competition. This is what athletes go through, and this is the mental aspect of our sport. And I think that, I mean, look at Salinas and look at Josh Hart. I mean, I think that experience matters. And some of the drivers that have been there, like Steve Torrance, and now Justin Ashley is an exception because he's got youth on his side. He's second generation. He, he had experience. This guy, whatever he, whatever his occupation does, if he's flipping houses, this guy, I, I can tell you he lives this stuff. And, and he hasn't really cracked under pressure. The, the races that they've lost, those were self-inflicted. The car lost traction. He didn't really have much to do with it. But when it's all said and done, I, I think that that drivers have to figure out how they can get the job done. And, you know, we've seen racers like Gladstone. Uh, I'll get back on Salinas and Hart. They showed themselves the door. They did it to themselves. The pressure, the pressure is what does that. For Mike Salinas, it was the pressure of, of being in that situation but it was also, you can combine that with the fact that he's got to race one of the guys that has, has one of the best reputations over the last 10 or 12 years getting off the starting line. So that pressure, Mike finally succumbed. He buckled. He folded under that pressure, and and he didn't double step. I think he tripled or quadruple stepped it because of that disconnect between your head and the fact that he was intimidated. A driver will never admit that. It's, it's not... Who wants to who wants to admit that? Sure. Right. Um, but I but I think that that's what pressure does to drivers. And this is the time of year that that we start to see some of that exposed. And hey, Justin Ashley's not out of the woods yet. I mean, he's got two races, the two biggest races of his career to finally, you know, put this thing to rest. And he's got guys coming. Brittany Force is coming off that whole shot loss. Steve, it wasn't a whole shot, but you know, it, it mentally, he's thinking, man, I could have won that race. I could have flipped the outcome of that race. So, hey, this is this is just the time of year, and that's what makes these last two races so dramatic. It's always, you know, Dallas sets the stage. A lot can happen in, in Vegas, and then, well, the final business is settled at the finals. It is, and, and let's move into the pro stock category before we jump all the way to top fuel. And 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 Kevin, it's going to be a coronation, and and to me, it's going to be a coronation in Vegas that has been earned by Eric Anders and her team. There's no two ways around it. This is not something they fell into. She's now matched her all-time single-season win total at nine. She has opportunities now to move that into a double-digit situation, and you know this is a season reminiscent of what we used to see in Greg Anderson in his prime. Yeah, and, and it makes you wonder if uh, if they were still running twenty two events, would she potentially have threatened uh, Greg's record of fifteen wins? Um, obviously, that that's not not on the table now. But to get to double digits is still uh, incredibly impressive. And just, uh, I mean, really, other than a couple of missteps, I, I know the season began with a, a whole shot loss in Gainesville, making the quickest run in the history of the class. Other than that, can you really point to any mistakes she's made this year? It'd be hard to pick this apart, uh, what they've done. And I think a lot of it is a product of losing the championship last year. Uh, that, I know, was hard for the whole elite team. And I think they dedicated themselves to, to being better this year. And, uh, you know, I think they achieved that on all fronts. And now I think the only question is, uh, you know, what's her motivation to win out? I mean, I think it's considerable, but... You know, do, do you also look at that team and say, well, you know, l- l- let's see if we can get Aaron Stanfield another win or, or TJ or even, you know, Bo, uh, you know, wh- where do the bulk of the resources go once this thing is settled? Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. But, yes, at some point on Sunday, I would expect uh, we're going to halt the action and, and parade the, uh, the elite car up the return road and we will crown our first champ of the year. 
And Tony, from from your perspective, I mean, you and I have literally watched uh, effectively every run she's made this season. And to to Kevin's point, it's like it's been it's been impressive in in all the ways we just talked about people making mistakes uh, in pro stock motorcycle. This has been the opposite of that. It has been the exact opposite of that. Well, and there you have it. I mean, there there is a prime example of of a driver that's in sync. They're in rhythm with their car, you know, and, and every, Hey, we all have, uh, things in our personal life and the drama. Um, I've seen and heard that I, I, I mean, you can just listen to some of the interviews and some drivers bring their drama to the track. They talk about it. It's, I think it's hindering them, but whatever it is that she finds in that race car, she's done it for a long time, just like some of the other drivers that are making mistakes. So, so, I mean, I, I can't, it's it's nothing other than some are getting the job done and some aren't. And when you talk about somebody that's getting the job done, it is Erica. I mean, lover, hater, you know, I, I feel I feel bad for anyone that has to, I mean, this today's day and age with the social media and the freaking critics, I sent you a, a text or TikTok <laughs> yes. about that little dog that was just barking, just yeah. crazy barking, and you put him next to the other dog and it shuts the hell up. You know, and, and I I feel for you know for athletes and drivers, but but that's that's what comes with being the race car driver. I, I mean I will say that. Hey, thank goodness we have fans that are so passionate. I disagree with the fact that, you know, they can be pretty rude and pretty opinionated, which the opinion's fine, but you know, I, I think before you throw stones at a person, get to know them a little bit for crying out loud. I think there's a good side of everyone, but I think that the pro stock drivers have some work to do and not just the drivers, the, the best drivers that I see in the class, they don't have a car to go with it. Yeah. And, and I think, I think KB, they've got, they've got to find a little bit of horsepower and for crying out loud, send Dallas Glenn to do your dirty work because he is the guy in that camp that can get the job done. Well, they tried. I mean, they tried. It just didn't work. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was great. I mean, I I did too. I, I thought that I, I wouldn't have had any regrets. I know Dallas was in the booth with us to call Pro Stock. Uh, it was good having him. He, you, you know, you just talk to him a little bit. You can tell that he's humble. He's talented. He really knows the car, the the ins and outs of a Pro Stock machine and what makes it work. Um, but you know, Hey, I give them an A for effort. I don't think there was any other way. I mean, for crying out loud, you're going to look back. I can't figure out for the life of me why a football team or a basketball team is not just throwing up three pointers is why are they rushing the ball with two minutes left to go in the game? And they have to go 90 yards. Yeah. You know, that is coaching. That is play calling. I think they made the right call to attempt to get in that, that 16th spot and it just you know it's so hard to do they they made it look easy when they did it years and years ago when jason line was there and you know this time it just just didn't work for him but i i think that they did what they needed to do and well it backfired kevin your take yeah no totally agree with everything tony said i i i think you you do as they say in sports play the full 60 minutes and that that means doing anything you can uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of a shame that, that Dallas will have a DNQ on his record, uh, you know, for eternity. But you maybe put an asterisk there and note that it was self-inflicted. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I totally agree that, uh, you know, th- their strategy was the right one. And, you know, pro, pro stock, as much as any other class, it, it's kind of like a pendulum. I think you'll see momentum swing, you know, maybe this winter. You look at KB, they redouble their efforts, they find a little power, refine some things, um, come back, and, and you know maybe they pick up the, the 100th or two they need to kind of be, be a little more level with the, the elite team. And, uh, you know, the same thing goes for, you know, we don't talk much about some of the other teams, but obviously the McGahays have had a really tough year. Yeah, they have. Um, you know, th- they need to, to probably work hard this winter, refine their program, find what's missing. Um, you know, Camry Caruso has had a great rookie season, but there's been a bit of a drop off since she made the final back in Houston. You know, uh, you, you can call it, well, you can't call it a sophomore slump, but, um, you know, I, I think they need to probably also, you know, hit the dyno and, and figure out what's wrong and, uh, 
you know, we'll see where we're at when we get back to uh, to Gainesville next year. And the big question for me is, does anybody try this weekend? I mean, because to me, you know, you, you got two options here. And, and to me, it's almost like if you try to get her early this weekend and, and use, you know, employ the same strategy they did last in Dallas, it's almost like running into a machine gun nest at this point. I mean, Dallas really, to me, was the, you know, you dug your trench, that was your last line of defense, and, and it got overrun. So do you think they try it? Because it goes, to me, almost from being a wily move to just completely desperate at this point. No, and, and here's the problem. Greg Anderson isn't even second. He's third. Yeah. And he's 190, he's 195 <laughs> right. points back. So, so let's say it worked perfectly, and they sent Dallas out there. He qualifies 16th. He takes out Eric the first round. That doesn't necessarily open the door for Greg as much as it does for Aaron Stanfield. Yeah, um, you, you know, you're, it, it's such a low percentage move that why not just go out there, make your four best runs, and try to finish the year. You know, for, for the KB team, the best thing they could hope for is to win the last two races. And Tony, is it, does it come down to that? Does it at this point just come down to pride? I would agree with that. I would say so. I mean, you you fired your shot. And they got up and kept walking like a zombie. So <laughs> I think I think it's over. I, you know, I mean, why not? Why not try? You know, Greg has Greg has had a car. I mean, I, I would say, um, I, I, yeah, I would say you take your best shot at just trying to outrun them. I mean, I'm sure that they're already thinking ahead and trying to figure out what they can do better, where they can find something. That takes time in the shop. So I mean, I don't know over a week that they've done anything to try to find the kind of performance but you got to find it you have to find the range the performance and then you got to go out and beat her and you know at this stage you just try to rack up a win for the team whether it's greg or kyle or dallas you know you just you try to get in a winner's circle and one last point on this kevin before we move on to funny car for for greg anderson obviously getting the hundredth winning the u.s nationals if that had not happened this season would go down as as one that he would i mean forever be disdainful of and i do feel like the the indie win as much as it's a cliche to say well you know you won indie but for him to win indie and to get the hundredth it does to me take a lot of the the stank if you will off this year because otherwise i mean the whole shot losses and the painful ways he's been kicked out and down the stairs this year has been been pretty tough to watch at times but that does to me take a lot of the, the stink off it you know you're 100 correct that 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 win has masked what has otherwise been a pretty disappointing title defense. Yeah. Um, to, to think that you could be going, you know, winless on a title defense after a year where you, you were pretty dominant. Uh, you know, I, I get that the elite team up their game, but it, it's not like Greg's car is tense behind. It's not even, you know, 500s behind it. It typically is three or four back and, you can do that. The problem is you can't, you're not likely to pick up three or four on Erica on the starting line. It just doesn't happen very often. Um, so again, you know, is it a lost season? Yeah, it certainly isn't what they hope for. I think Greg's silver lining is obviously the hundredth win and, and Indy, but um, there, there's a lot of work to be done there this winter. All right, Tony, funny car time. And, you know, as as uh, it's a three man show, let's just be honest right now and just say what it is. It's a three man show. We're looking at temperatures that are going to be in the low seventies, uh, high sixties. Uh, evening or after late afternoon qualifying sessions should be fairly ridiculous. And these three cars that are leading the charge are the three cars that can most take advantage of those conditions. So, does the the last stand of Matt Hagen is that what we're going to see this weekend in Vegas? Well, we have to. I, and, you know, the, the good thing about Matt is, you know, I always go back to that first run at the championship when, when Force, it was, it was between him and Force, and he was so dejected. I knew the feeling. I've been there before, and I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You look at some of the best drivers. You look at some of the greatest moments. And that driver has, has taken his lumps. And I think that's one of the things, that's one of the experiences that has made Matt Hagen so good, so intense, because what it does is it, it allows the driver to understand the urgency and those moments that you have to win, those must-win situations. When you've been stung, when you've been bit by the dog, you, you kind of have a different approach to everything. And, you know, if you go back to the last race, I mean, 
for crying out loud, he, 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 he took his best shot. You know, like the crew chief did what he was supposed to do. The driver did not just everything he could, but he did it well. And the problem was the other guy in the other lane, he did it a little bit better. So, you know, I think that, and I've, I've been saying that, hey, the championship is going to come down to great moments. Uh, Ron Caps has had, he's had a couple, he's already had a couple of those great moments. It's not too late, but, you know, Matt Hagen, I think, I think for that team, they're going to need a little bit more. I mean, what they did in qualifying was impressive. It just, you know, I know, I know the concern is giving the race away, you know, pushing the car to the point to where, you know, it loses traction. Hey, at this stage, who cares? Right. I mean, you've got to, you've got to outperform two cars, not one, but two cars. And those two cars are pretty damn good. So I, you know, I think all three cars, they seem, it seems like they can run with one another. seems like all the drivers are really at their peak. I I mean, but right now, you know, caps, I, I said it before the last race, I'll say it again. He came out smelling like a rose. He's putting the work in. He's if, if Hagen was good, uh, Caps was a little bit better. And then you look at the incremental numbers. I mean, the 60 foot was off both of them deep stage, which is okay because both of them want to win. Okay. Each of them wanted to get to the dang finish line. So who cares about how they staged? But when I break the numbers down, Caps's car was still a little bit better. They had a little bit more on the tank. So I'm sure that that's something that, that Dickie Venables is going to be thinking about. Uh, I think he's going to have to be aggressive in qualifying because that's where it starts. That's where you start, you know, start the rhythm. And if you look at any any one of them, I mean, Robert seems so invincible, but he can be beat. You can beat that guy toe-to-toe. So I think it's going to come down to final round. Um, and final round is either going to be Robert and, and Hagen or Caps and, and Robert or any of those scenarios. I still think that John Force can mix it up with any of those guys. Uh, there's some pretty good cars out there. I've got a feeling that there's somebody's going to run some interference, but, but it's, you know, I think it's going to come down to those three and it's really a must win for all of them. I mean, Hagen was in a must win before going into the last race and, and they didn't pull it off. So, you know, that's, uh, that's where they're at. Where's your head at Kevin? Well, it, it, it doesn't seem like it, but Matt Hagen still, I think is very much in control of his own destiny. If he wins both races, and, and that's a lot to ask, but if he wins both races, as long as Height or Caps is not in the other lane in both finals, he's probably going to win the championship. Um, you know, you, you look at the you know the points and a half in Pomona might be his savior. So I wouldn't count him out just yet. Uh, but then again, you know, you, you have arguably the two best cars in the class that you have to pass, and. I wouldn't want to race either one of them right now. Uh, I mean, really, you look at height and caps, and it is a coin toss. Uh, you know, to think that neither one of those guys is going to make it to the semis is probably a lot to ask. Um, so, so that does, you know, sort of confirm it's mostly a, a two-horse race, but not not totally. You know, legacy-wise, what's your guys' take on on legacy-wise when we look at these three drivers? an additional championship for any one of the three of them. In my opinion, legacy-wise, it, it moves the needle most for Caps. The second one was a, a titanic one for Caps because, you know, it, it puts you in rarefied air. A third one for Caps would almost put him where you expect he should be in terms of how many wins he has and everything else. But then we look at what Robert and Matt are trying to do with, with adding even on, on top of that. So, you know, Kevin, in your estimation, a championship for any one of these three guys, which one does more for the driver's legacy? Ooh, uh, that, that's a really good question. I, I'm going to go with Caps because I think, uh, and, and Tony could probably chime in on this, as a team owner, uh, isn't there a, an extra sense of satisfaction knowing that, that you built something, you know, you're the boss, right? You know, you, you, you sign uh, the front of the checks now. Um, so I would think for Caps, that would really to say, you know, the, the guy won a couple championships as a hired driver and then, he transitioned right into team ownership and won another one. A pretty pretty special deal, I would think. I hey, no disrespect to Ron, but he didn't build it. You know, the the transition, it, it the ownership went from Don and what Don built 
to to cash. You know, you, there's some drivers and some teams they've built their teams from the ground up, and they've had to hire people, bring people in. You know, take take a little more risk, uh, bigger chances, stick their neck out. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, Ron signs the checks, but um, I, I think I think that you know, for me, it's it's um, you know, the problem with Robert is, and this is this is a good problem to have is you're. You drive for John Force. You are always going to be in the shadow of John Force. But Robert has really, you know, carved uh, carved quite the career for himself and the legacy. And you know, th- this isn't because he just drives for John Force. I mean, it was kind of like driving for Alan Johnson with that Alan Avi car, the Winston car. If you were in that car, you should win races. You should have won a lot of them. Um, but I'll, I'll give I'll give Robert credit. Robert has done a good job and, and, and has shown that that talent is what makes the difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I, you know, I think, I, I mean, I don't know if that's a question that's subjective, you know, that just depends on, on who's, I mean, if you're a force fan, you're going to side with Robert. I mean, that seems to be the way it works. I mean, Robert's not going to step out. He's not going to say anything controversial uh, which you don't have to, but I, I, I think he's just pretty reserved, right? You know what to expect from him. Um, you know, I think I think there's just a lot of talent. There's a different dynamic. You know, Hagen, uh, you know, they owned a team, and that's that's how he started. And he, you know, he was just getting kicked around, but, you know, he went through some moments. He got in a good car. He teamed up with, uh, hooked up with Don Schumacher, and, and he started winning races, but he got good. He got He got good along the way. And he went through that championship run, and and he's a different he's a different person. It's like he he grew up, he became a man, and um, you know I just think right now if I had to pick one car, and I know I'm not answering your question, Brian, because I don't think I have an answer for that. I mean, it all depends on you know on who you are, but I think that looking at well, who are you going to go with? I. I I saw that the pattern with Robert, it, it didn't seem like they, they were running as good as Caps and Hagen. Um, I think that got him in trouble. It was no big surprise to see them push and, and get the tires loose. That can happen to anyone, but I just see Caps right now. Just, I mean, this guy is, is in such a groove. He's is in such a rhythm and, and he has been, he has been for a while. I mean, you said the U S nationals, this guy has just been getting the job done, and he's he's making it look easy. There's been a few drivers that have have given him their best shot, and he just keeps coming. So right now, I think Taps has the momentum going into these last two races. I think he definitely does too. I agree with you on that. I also just I also you know I look at Robert and I and I think I think there's no way that uh that they trip up and and it doesn't even require tripping up i mean we're talking about 10 points here i mean it's it's a virtual dead heat at this point matt being 78 back just to clarify that for anybody listening but um that's going to be one thing to watch and and now we got to spend some time on top fuel because that has been the you know the chaos machine of of this countdown has been top fuel and you know austin proc became the latest guy to 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 really throw a monkey wrench in the works for a lot of different people by going to the final round against justin ashley moved himself into the number seven position of points and i'm not going to talk about proc as a championship contender at this point because i do feel like 160 after what we've seen everybody else do is a little far-fetched to believe a a championship runs possible in two races but uh kevin i will throw it out there that uh, coming off a final and then coming into this race in in a car that has progressively gotten better through the countdown means that austin brock is in my opinion, not going to end up seventh in the points. And he has something in the tank for everybody that's in front of him. Yeah, no, uh, agreed. You know, there's a lot of what ifs uh, when you look at Austin Brock's season. You know, if they'd have found a little bit of that consistency that they seem to have here during the countdown, you know, if he had come into the countdown fifth or sixth in points, uh, you know, he'd probably be less than 100 now. You know, a couple of the, the little mistakes, you know, if, if you just take away one bad race, um, we're having a totally different discussion here. But you look at Top Fuel as a whole, and, uh, you know, tell me we might not see a first-time winner this year, this weekend, right? I mean, you've got both of the Kalita cars have yet to win. Josh Hart is yet to win. Clay Milligan hasn't won. Uh, tell me either one of, you know, any one of those guys wins this race, and 
I'm a believer. Um, so, so I, I mean, you legit, you always hear the, uh, the phrase, you know, anyone who qualifies can win, but that's pretty darn true this weekend. Uh, when, when you look at top fuel, there, there might be a few guys in the back of the field that are, that are long shots, but I would say at least a dozen cars uh, have a straight up shot to do it. And, you know, that, that may or may not be good news for Justin Ashley, you know, he's probably going to have to come out swinging from round one because depending on where he qualifies, he might have a really, really good car first round. Well, look, and, and Tony, I'm going to come to you next, but I want to set this up for the people listening in that a couple of weeks ago, we had 18 cars on the sheet for Top Fuel. Then it became 17 cars because Billy Torrance has decided to apparently stop running Top Fuel. And then it became 15 cars because uh, Scott Palmer and Alex Laughlin have decided to run Pomona instead of running Las Vegas. So now, Tony, I'm coming to you because now we're talking about a first-round buy. We're talking about a guy with an 82-point lead, and we're talking about a woman in Brittany Force who's behind him. But why should I be afraid of Brittany Force past Saturday afternoon? Why should I be afraid of that car on Sunday morning? Or should I not be afraid of it? No, you should fear. You should fear what, uh, what you can't, what you don't know what makes tick. Um, so the obvious is that, you know, she could easily qualify in the number one position. Yeah. I mean, it's been the best car over the last several years. It still is. I mean, they miss every now and again, but they seem to, I mean, that what they did in the first round, um, you know, that kind of performance, that, that tells you that they have found it again and they could go to Vegas. Uh, you know, the thin air is always, you know, it's, it changes the combination, but everybody has to change their setup. Um, but, you know, the, the not so obvious that Brittany uh, has in her in her pocket is, is Austin Clock. You know, there's a blocker car. Uh, uh, and I hate to say that, but, but it you know, is. I'm pretty sure. It is. They're gonna, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that when they race each other, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I'm saying you have a car and you have a driver that can get rid of the competition. Um, and she has that going for it. So, you know, Justin Ashley, as good as they were, I mean, as flawless, as good as he has been, as talented as he has been, because the crew chief is doing a heck of a job. Mike Green, Tommy D, those, that team is pulling through. But as good as they were at this last race, uh, Justin doing everything right on the starting line, the car running in the 60s every round, you cannot mess around and qualify 10th. You can't do it, not at this stage. So, you know, that, that right there, uh, to... to at Kevin's point, you know, there are a lot of cars. I mean, Clay Milliken, these guys can outrun you. They can beat you. Doug Coletta just needs another hundredth or two hundredths of a second. And I can just go down the list. So Justin is not out of the woods. And he is he is getting, like I mentioned earlier, he's getting to the point of the year that you think you had some pressure before. Um, you know, this there is nothing that is going to test you like the next two races. But to this point... He has passed every test. There's no reason for me to think that this guy is going to crack now because I think he is so focused. I think he understands that nature will take its course, and if he just holds out for another two races, I, I still think they are the heavy favorite. I think that, in my opinion, they have been all year, since the start of the year, um, because I've understood the capability of Mike Green, what, what this team has assembled, uh, and how talented the team is and how how talented the driver is. And when you put that combination together, well, anything can happen. I, I you know, I think Steve Torrance is gonna have to be great. I've just seen Steve show that greatness, but for some reason he's he's not doing it week in and week out. He's he's no longer winning the close races. This is something that he was able to do over the last few years in the countdown. And and it's just not happening. I still think that Antron is still a big threat, but you know, Kevin, I'm going to go back and agree with you. There's there's another eight nine cars that could easily end up in the winning circle, and we're going to say, "Well, we're not surprised." And look, Justin Ashley even played his first round lost the right way. You know what I mean? Like the race that he the race that he stubbed his toe and and had his worst performance of the countdown at St. Louis. It was when Torrance came back and won, and 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 Josh Hart made the final. So the damage was even minimized there. And you know, Kevin, I I look at and 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 Tony just brought the point up. This to me is the ultimate back to the wall scenario for Steve Torrance. This to me will be the defining race of this team's 2022 season. 
you, you could easily argue that if he comes back from almost 100 points down and wins this championship, it's more impressive than the year that he ran the table during the countdown and won all six. Um, the, the odds, the odds of doing this are probably equal to or even slightly worse than uh, what he did uh, in, in winning the, the six countdown events. So yeah, that, that's uh, th- that is a fair statement. Um, you know, he's also got to get past three other drivers. You know, Antron is in there ahead of him. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mathematically. Mike Salinas is not out of this. Although it, it would take some some real magic for for you know anything significant to happen there, um, you know, again you know tell me who's going to win this race and uh, I have to call you a liar because we we don't know we won't know until late Sunday. Um, they, they throw a dozen hats in the in the or dozen names in the hat, pull one out, and and that's going to be your winner. We can't predict who's going to win the race, but I want both you guys to predict who'll be number one qualifier in top fuel. Who's going to get the buy first round? I go Brittany, and I'm sorry. It was the second round that they ran the 67, not the first round. But um, you know, they they packed the car up after that. So, but you cannot deny that kind of performance. They're going to have they're going to have four cracks at it. And uh, that Friday evening session, I think that's going to be for position. That's my guess. Yeah, Brittany, you you've got four qualifying sessions, which is a big bonus. You have David Grubnick, who seems to be a guy who capitalizes on variables uh, better than almost anyone else, which, you know, the variable here being the conditions in Vegas. Uh, n- no reason to think that they won't uh, throw out a mid-60 run. And, uh, you know, I can tell you this, they are certainly going to attempt to do that. So, um, you know, whether or not they're successful remains to be seen, but more often than not, they are successful. So uh, I think odds favor Brittany in that spot. I think they do, and and I actually, you know, I'm going to go against the grain of, of both of you guys. I think Ashley qualifies number one, and to me, that will be that's like the Thor hammer move right there. If he can do it, <laughs> if he can do it, that that's kind of the thing that makes the earth kind of quake under everybody else's feet because you know there is nothing to indicate in this forecast that this will be anything but an absolute you know horsepower race and as tony mentioned it is an altitude track but it's going to be cool and it's obviously going to be dry because we're in the desert um and it's just going to be one of those things i think you know the the way that this race kind of is a celebration and and we get to carry that celebration into sema is very interesting tony and i'll be working the sema show on the nhra you know stage and we'll have the cavalcade of stars coming through the course of the week and you know tony these are always to me the most interesting conversations when we have these drivers on that tuesday on that wednesday on that thursday after this race and we're going to talk to those drivers who performed flawlessly and we're going to talk to those drivers who uh maybe left something on the table and so, you know, Las Vegas is a city where a lot of people leave with regrets uh, every time they roll out of here. And, and maybe that's the maybe that's the key here is to, to be the team that doesn't have any regrets come win, lose or draw on Sunday. Right. Yeah. And we won't have a breathalyzer, you know, for for the drivers that, you know, that have a tough race. Just so you know, um, hey, we're going to we're going to ask you some questions point blank, but, but no breathalyzer. So come as you are. Um, I, I will say this. There may be a lady of the lake moment. This is my Excalibur lady of the lake pulling the sword, <laughs> the broken sword up out of the water. If Justin Ashley gets beat in the second round, that that right there changes everything. And that's really going to, the door is going to swing wide open, not just for one, but maybe two or three, or maybe even a fourth driver that can stay in. And I think that's going to be something that's real cool. Not likely to happen because they were just so strong and they were so strong when it mattered the most. But you know how unpredictable these cars can be and the conditions can be. And I always go back. You don't have to go back to, to 2007 when it was me and Caps and Robert and, and Selzy or whoever else. That's when they narrowed it down to four in contention. And the track changed. We need only go back to Brainerd in the second round when the track changed. So, you know, the tuners are still going to have to get a read on the track. But that's just goes to show you in this modern era when NHRA is giving the racers what they want. They wanted the sugar. They wanted the candy. NHRA said, here, we're going to spray these tracks. <laughs> we're going to make the quality of race. We're going to twist your crankshafts and connecting rods. Alan Johnson and Bill Miller love it because they're going to sell more rods. They're pro track, uh, you know, traction compounds. So my point is, is NHRA is prepping these tracks. The tracks are good. The quality of racing is good. Um, 
but you know stuff breaks and if that track changes like it did just a handful of races ago in Brandon in the second round when we saw so many things unfold and so many things that became unpredictable um, it could happen anytime that sun does a lot to a racetrack so I think it's going to be one heck of a weekend all right last point Kevin what's the go-to spot in Vegas what is your visit the city have to stop at place every time you're out there well, I'll take the politically correct and say Thursday night you need to be at the Fan Fest. Uh, that, 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 that's always a fantastic time. And honestly, t- Tony will attest to this. If you can be anywhere Kenny Koretsky is on a Friday or Saturday night in Vegas, you, you are going to have a good time and you are going to see some things you probably haven't seen before. Um, so so th- that's technically my go-to. If you're going to the electric chair... Have dinner with Kenny Kurt. That should be the last request. Have dinner with Kenny Kurt. Well, there you have it. Yeah, and the Thursday Night Fan Fest is going to be great because um, NHRA has created videos. So the whole the whole roof of the uh, the covered street down there, Kevin, is going to be NHRA videos playing on that giant uh, digitized uh, roof, which is going to be cool. And, you know, the amazing thing about the Fan Fest, you know, this is the first time back in a couple of years, uh, but historically – it has drawn a massive crowd to downtown. Um, you know, and, and again, I think the things you have going for you, this race, it's Vegas for one. It's SEMA week. Uh, historically, it gets a lot of international visitors. And, and I think, uh, I mean, it really has become a must-attend event. Uh, so, and, and I think all of that, you, you'll see the first signs of that c- come Thursday night when uh, all your favorite drivers are downtown. Going to be great. Fellas, I look forward to seeing both of you out there in the city and uh, be an extended stay for uh, for Tony and I as we do not only the race but also the SEMA show. And Kevin will get together, have some dinner, and uh, chew on our predictions here over the course of the show. As always, fellas, thank you, and uh, travel safe out to Nevada. See you guys in Vegas. Take care. And with that, we'll bring this episode of the NHRA Insider to a close. It is the NHRA Las Vegas, rather the NHRA Yes, Las Vegas Nationals happening at the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. You'll see two qualifying shows on Sunday as well as eliminations coverage on Sunday on FS1. Check your local listings for times on that. It is going to be mid-afternoon East Coast, uh, mid-afternoon to the early evening East Coast. You can check your, again, check your local listings on the exact broadcast time. It's going to be fantastic, and uh, this race always is. We're going to have some championship battles, at least three of them. We're going to have one champion likely crowned, and then we'll set ourselves up for the final round of the season in Pomona, California. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. There will not be an insider next week because of the fact that, well, frankly, we'll be in Las Vegas. Tony and I will be out there at the SEMA show. If you're going to be at the SEMA show, make sure you stop by and see us at the NHRA display. Lots of uh, fun people, lots of autograph sessions, lots of interviews. And we have the big NHRA SEMA breakfast on Wednesday morning. So if you're a SEMA show attendee, it is going to be Lee Beard, Don Prudhomme, Richard Tharp, and Frank Hawley, all telling famous kind of war stories from back in the day. Laughs and insider information will be flowing, as well as free tickets being given away to the finals. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening, as always. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast as our NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series season draws to a close.